0: In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan.
1: Okay, all you Silver Club Podcast listeners, today we've got a very special guest, Nathaniel Crosby, the 2019 winning U.S. Walker Cup captain. He's got tremendous stories you're not going to want to miss. And we're going to bring that to you in just a moment. My co-host Colin Sheehan is on the road. He's in the throes of the fall season with the Yale team. So we're going to give him a pass today and get right to the podcast with Nathaniel Crosby. We just have a lot of great things to talk about from his Walker Cup experience. Just happened at Royal Liverpool at Hoy Lake over in England. So stay tuned for that. But before we get to that podcast, I just wanted to say we couldn't do this without the help of the silver club golfing society our golfing society is continuing to grow each and every day we just got finished with the great lakes challenge at point of woods in benton harbor michigan for many years they've played the western amateur there garrett rank was the champion there this year one of our advisory board members just ton of fun to play at point of woods and have a great third major of the year Congratulations to Kansas City's own Scott Ritchie for capturing the Jones division. The Evans division was captured by North Carolinian Jeff Sepazzi. So congratulations to both of them. Great weather we had there and played on an epic championship golf course. We've got some tremendous events coming up as well. We've got Quaker Ridge in October 2nd. We've got the Old Town Club October the 10th. And Pasatiempo leading into our Silver Club Championship at the end of this season. So really looking forward to that. Got to give a shout out to all of our partners of the Silver Club. The Dunhill brand, Club Champion, Blast Motion, Global Golf Post, Torch Eyewear, Turtleson, and a special shout out to to Lynx and Kings, a maker of some of the finest leather goods on the market. They travel the world sourcing the finest materials and create products as unique as they are special. Their master artisans handcraft each piece with meticulous detail, ensuring the highest quality. Lynx and Kings is an experience and a connection to golf's purity. So if you want to play some of the country's best courses and hit shots that matter, then the Silver Club Golfing Society is something you need to check out. We're on the web at silverclubgs.com. We're on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're also on Facebook, so check us out there. All right, now it's time to get to this week's guest, the Walker Cup winning captain, Nathaniel Crosby. Okay, we are very privileged today on the Silver Club podcast to have 2019 Walker Cup, the winning Walker Cup captain, Nathaniel Crosby, joining us. Welcome, Nathaniel. Hey, Steve. Great to be with you. Have you come down from the high yet? I mean, it's, uh, what a fantastic victory you and your team had. Just uh, spending each and every day um, with countless hours of
0: daydreaming right now. Remembering all the great moments and thoughts and experiences that just happened—just amazing. It was an amazing week, but it was an amazing year and a half
1: event for me, really. It, it certainly was. It's a it's a culmination of a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of meetings, a lot of recruiting, a lot of uh, visiting these uh, national tournaments, and kind of scouting your team out. I guess even though you don't officially have a uh, a vote, but yeah, it started a couple of years ago, and just just you know talk about you know maybe give us the cliff notes of how that how that process kind of goes and how you end up selecting this these quality players that you to select.
0: Well, really, it was uh, it was as you say deja vu all over again for me to go back uh, and visit tournaments that I played in forty years earlier was just such a kick in the pants. It was so much fun to go back and revisit these old venues like the Border Cup, the Western Amateur at Point of Woods, and um, and so many of the other tournaments that I remember fondly from my adolescent years and my own golfing efforts. But the uh, the, the process works where there's seven votes, none of which I, I was able to get, uh, or captains don't get to make a choice in a vote, which is really the right decision for the USGA because you don't want to be uh you know if you hug a parent or if you you know a parent is seen having lunch with you or a, a player <laughs> then the next thing the next thing you know is like oh crosby likes this kid or that kid but um the, you know you get substantial input you know i kind of pointed it out where i thought the wagger was uh was really a great science for the players that were playing in the same tournaments but i thought it didn't I thought it inflated the juniors a little bit. I thought it was inconsistent with some of the mid amateurs and I offered those opinions um, whether they were, you know, and, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the all age tournaments are really important. I think the college players playing against each other was important. And I think there was a lot of seniors that had uh, resisted the temptation to turn pro after the NC2As in hopes to be on the, Walker Cup team. And we literally got all but one of those players because Andy Ogletree, who wasn't ranked very high, but was second-team All-American, um, you know, won the U.S. Amateur. So we missed out on uh, on one player that we really wanted, with, with Chandler Phillips. But, you know, after, uh, you know, seeing Andy Ogletree, that guy is going to go far. He was such a worthy, he is such a worthy U.S. Amateur champion. And but he was literally the only player that I didn't study and focus on. Uh, the other nine players on that team, I knew their parents. I knew them very well. Um, they knew that I was following them. They knew that I was pulling for them. And the, and the competition committee uh, really allowed me to, to recruit the team uh, that I was focused on and wanted. And it was basically a culmination of, of all of their performances as well as their Wagger rankings.
1: Yeah, sure. That's a that's a great description of it. And yeah, certainly that uh, the U.S. Amateur Champ getting that automatic spot now. And yeah, we, we look at that that process now. And I, I think the USJ has done a, a great service to the Amateur Game and to the Walker Cup Selection Committee because it's at least identified, to my count, I guess, four guaranteed spots, the top three U.S. players on the World Amateur Golf Ranking plus the U.S. Amateur Champ, and then you have, then there's six other selections, I guess I'm right. But, uh, but I, I guess, would you say that there's some, maybe some, you know, some sort of validation maybe towards the selection process now that the U.S. has got two victories in a row and now this, this one and this great comeback?
0: You know, I, I think that, um, you know, the three automatic picks from Wagger, you know, the Haskins Award winner, U.S. Amateur champion, I think, you know, historically you have to have the U.S. Amateur champion you know, if they're American on the team uh, and that really dates back to the previous champion, which was not an American this past time uh, before Andy was uh, Hoblin, it was Norwegian. So, um, but I think the current U S amateur champions in the two year body of work should easily uh, make the team. And, um, you know, I think, you know, and I, I want to just uh, cover my bases here because uh, uh, Ricky, Ricky Castillo, was the junior, and I watched him shoot a 61 at the Western Amateur in the quarterfinals. <laughs> you know, and and I I truly expect that this guy is going to be on the next Walker Cup team at Seminole. Yeah. Um. It but his his body of work from this past summer, which was, you know, a quarterfinals in uh, in the North South where he finished second in the medal, and finishing second in the medal at the Western, and then getting to the semifinals. You know, truly uh, significant accomplishments. And uh, they will count toward his next body of work. Um, so I don't want to think that I was uh, him or anybody else to think I was duping, you know, the success of the juniors, including Akshay, who turned pro this past week. Uh, Akshay Batty is, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of one of the most talented players, you know, raw talents that we've seen in a long, long time. And uh, at 17 years old, turning pro, I, I wouldn't have recommended it because, uh, you know, he was inevitably going to win twenty or twenty-five college and amateur tournaments if he'd have hung around three years. I would have recommended, you know, that would have given him a stronger foundation for the next thirty years. But everybody has their own path and you know, Akshay has just got such raw talent, and incredible golf intelligence. Just the way he uh, played the wind instinctively in in uh, Hoylake. Uh, watching him in the practice rounds, he was he was really using uh, height to be an advantage in cross wins, which I didn't see all of the players doing. And um, it's just a, a testimonial to this kid's amazing golf instinct.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, you you know European golf very well. You played three years on the European Tour. Uh, in that uh, you were selected on the 1983 Walker Cup team 36 years ago at the same venue, Royal Liverpool where you just won. So you, you had a little bit of knowledge of those conditions. And, you know, really, what was your level of pride to return to that same venue where you had that success at, you know, as a player and now as a captain? Well, it was funny because the, the inside joke, which I went airborne
0: with, was that Jay Siegel, our plane captain, benched me twice. <laughs> and to his to his credit, one of the truly great amateur players of the last century uh jay uh, had won anything and everything and um you know i had had a couple of really good years and was ranked third in golf digest in the amateur rankings twice in a row but to to in fairness to jay i had redshirted my fourth year in college so i could play my fifth year and finish my degree because i had uh, after the amateur i took advantage of a lot of tour invitations and right. played a, played a full college schedule so Hardly showed up for class (laughs) to do that. And um, so after coming into the Walker Cup team, I had not played college golf that spring. And, uh, you know, let's say from his perception, I was off form. I don't remember it that way, but he sat me twice. So my so my comment at the closing ceremonies was this was Deja Vu all over again. I've been a part of two winning Walker Cup teams at Hoy Lake. And I didn't get to play in either one.
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's uh, that. That is a very interesting side note to that. That's uh, that is pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you think about being the captain. I mean, not not being able to hit a shot this time. At least you got to hit some shots before. How, how gut wrenching is it? Just trying to guide your team and but not not being able to hit that shot. Well, it's a good thing I didn't have to hit it.
0: I I think there's very few things in life where you get to take a bow. (laughs) I don't know anything in life where you get to take a bow for something you did 35 or 40 years earlier. And the USGA's criteria of picking former amateur champions or runner-ups or, um, you know, mid-amateur champions has been their You know, the last few decades, it's kind of been their criteria. So, you know, such a privilege to be front and center with the newest – Latest generation of upcoming stars it was such a privilege to have those kids recognize my record from 100 years ago <laughs> and, you know, look up to me to some degree or at least respect uh, a body of work that was done 35, 40 years ago because that's the stage that they were in. And, uh, you know, who the heck cares, you know, if you won the Porter Cup 40 years earlier and this year I was putting on the jacket for the new champion and taking another bow up there. So, I mean, it was such a kick in the pants, but I think the biggest privilege is getting to know those kids. It wasn't a anxiety. I had so much confidence uh, with the players because I've been watching them for a year and a half. So even when we were down, you know, I recognized that these players to accomplish what they'd accomplished had come from behind in a lot of tournaments that come from slow starts before, and there really wasn't any new Rockney event. Um, although I like to tell my friends and family that it was a, a three hour beat down sermon the night before.
1: Yeah, take, take us inside that team room just for a second. You know, you're down seven to five after the, the, the first day of, of foursomes and singles, and you're on foreign soil. You have kind of the, the chips stacked against you. What sort of things, or maybe who was a spiritual leader, if not you, in that team room? You know, I passed the microphone around. My my
0: thoughts were pretty brief, but just basically said, you know, it was a year and a half of me handpicking the team. Uh, you know, the committee was able to, uh, to allow me to sway them into getting the players uh, that I wanted. And, um, you know, I had tremendous belief in each and every one of them. Uh, you know, I'd seen nine out of the ten players extensively at different tournaments and uh you know not only had belief in their performance you know for the sunday but had belief in their performance for their upcoming 35-year careers and um you know i basically said this memory is going to be distinct and unlike any other golf memory you'll have there's going to be a lot of milwaukee opens there's going to be a lot of no no criticism of the milwaukee Open, but there'll be a lot of tour events where they're going to be playing 15 or 18 years of the same event. And one memory is going to blend into the other and the Walker cup is always going to stand out. And if, if you lose the Walker cup, the memory is always going to be there. It's not going to be a thorn in your side, but it's not going to be the positive memory of, of, of a winning, a winning event. And I think the Saturday afternoon where John Pack made, the 10 foot putt for birdie to win his match and keep us from going three down uh, the first day, the first day uh, was really a turnaround. And that that was a, you know, a 69 Mets for those of you that are old enough to know what a 69 Mets moment is. Um, But, you know, a real celebratory moment that was important for him. It's a lifelong memory for him, but it was a lifelong memory for all 10 of his teammates or nine of his teammates and myself. And you know, the next day, you know, the celebrations, the chemistry with the team, you know, it's going to be, you know, other than, other than a couple of other things in my life, that memory and the celebratory evening was just, it's going to be one of the great, great reflections. You know, if I'm on my deathbed, I'm rotating a few of those days, (laughs) a few (laughs) of those, few of those, uh, you know, happy memories from what happened last Sunday afternoon, and and also the happy memories of and the privilege of getting to know all the players and their families.
1: No, no doubt. Yeah, you're, we're going to see. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Akshay just turned professional. Uh, a few other ones, I believe, Brandon Wu, um, maybe Isaiah Salinda, so, Sol- as well. Solinda, so. Yeah, and, and um, I think the the players that are
0: staying. In college is uh, John Augustine is finishing up. He's an amazing player. We've gotten to be really close friends, and uh, I was texting him uh, throughout the U.S. Amateur and watching him each and every day, and texting him some advice the night before the amateur final. And uh, I gave him, you know, we had the banner going. I had the needle out pretty hard. Then the players started needling each other. Yeah. So, so when when John got four up, I was like, man, it'd be nice to. See it's is great to see you finally held a four up lead. <laughs> you know, so that yeah, might have yeah, been a little too might have been a little too soon after uh, the you know he lost the four up lead uh... in the finals of the U.S. Amateur. But there was uh, no holds barred. But John, John and I have become great friends, and he has got such a promising career, um, very very confident, and in a great amazing golf game. And I've never seen anybody chip quite like him. Him, but I, I think we've got John Augustine and Andy's going back to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, tech, and then Cole, of course, is just a sophomore at um, at University of Texas. So, um, you know, and then and then John uh, pock I believe, is uh, still at Florida State. So you got four guys still in college for one for at least one more year. I think Cole's intending to to play uh, at Texas for three, probably four years, is something. my understanding. But yeah, you know, I have I know He's got you know. I was really a large part of watching him in every one of his, uh, you know, historic summer, last summer, uh, where he, you know, was medalist in the Western and won the Western. That's only been done three times in 100 years. And, um, you know, if not for Hoblin, he would have done the same thing at the Amateur. And I doubt that that's happened more than a few times. Um, you know, so running into Hoblin, shooting nine under par through 15 holes at Pebble Beach was his only blip. And I think at one point he was saying, Captain, we're 11-0 together.
1: So <laughs> I, got,
0: I, I got suspicious that summer and uh, felt like I it was a mandatory event for me to walk him in at every match. You know, and, and there were a lot of, you know, chip-ins and long putts. You know, Cole had an incredible, incredible um, uh, summer and uh, is worthy of the number one ranking that he now has on the Wagger.
1: No, for sure, for sure. Let, let's just... just kind of quickly go into that final day that you are you are two strokes you're off two points excuse me down going into that final day and you know you had that 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 great putt by john pock to uh you know give you some momentum going to that final day but you're still down and then you just totally flip the script on the gb and i team and won 10 and a half of the uh 14 points that final day on Sunday for an eventual 15 fifteen and a half to ten and a half victory. At what point during that day were you able to actually just kind of sit and breathe and know that this thing is locked up? Well, things change so quickly,
0: and um, I think the afternoon. You know, you never, you never really know that it's it's uh, going to happen. But I think that when we won a couple of the early matches, and it was apparent that we were three and four up in I think three of the uh, late matches that it was going to go in our favor. And, um, you know, you never know until, you know, the putt's in, but uh, we had such commanding leads in three of those last, ma- uh, four, I think three of the last four matches, we were a minimum of three up. And, um, you know, you know, it's just uh, an amazing uh, feeling. the The night before, it wasn't really anything different other than the, you know, the, Passing the microphone around, Stuart Hagestad had a lot to say. Brandon Wu had some comments um, that were definitely motivating. And um, But I, I think that these guys are, you know, they played ping pong and they did their Madden sports. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah, You know, I mean, I, I've been around Bernard Langer and he goes into Zen mode. You know, when I was playing on the European Tour, I think the, the story was uh, some of the players recognized that Bernard Langer – Spend a minimum of an hour every day of uh, doing mental exercises, and I was like, you know, what's mental exercise? I don't even know what that is. You know, is that praying? Is that what is that? You know, and and basically, I think what Langer used to do is just positive image. He used to just take an hour out of every day to just sit and think about positive results uh, that would be, you know, the you know would happen the following day, and so just like somebody would go out and hit balls these guys are playing ping pong and jumping around the room.
1: <laughs> like, yeah.
0: like, you know, it's like, and, you know, I think the positive imaging can be done in showers. It can be done on the couch, you know, but it's very hard to, to be focused on, you know, metal exercises when you're jumping around the ping pong table. I've never seen anything like it. These these guys would burn 5,000 calories playing ping pong <laughs> and, and, and not, not too much less playing Madden football either. You know, it's like,
1: yeah, I, I, I hear, of, and I hear the uh, your your team manager Robbie Zalzenek's a pretty good uh, ping pong player as well. Yeah, he was self
0: promoting a little bit with the ping pong deal. <laughs> I, I stayed out, of, I stayed out of the way. But uh, you know, I, I think that um, the guys that are turning pro, I just gotta wish them well. And you know, I think Akshay and Alex Smalley, you know, Brandon Wu, what a summer Brandon had. You know, he played so well in the U.S. Open. Any other year, he would have been low-am in the Open. But Hoblin again, Hoblin, he's driving me crazy. But uh, I saw the report on Hoblin this morning that he's set the course – or uh, set the tour record for consecutive rounds in the 60s or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. He tied it. He tied it, exactly. It was 17 in a row. Yes. Man, it's – you know, so we –
0: I was trying very hard to get him to accept a dual passport, but uh, it didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but I, I got to wish, you know, Alex Smalley, what a great player he is, sneaky long. You know, Selinda Pac, and and Wu were just phenomenal players. And uh, and you know, I just, you know, I'm trying to make sure I don't leave anybody out. But Andy, all, all 10 of those players, uh, you know, Stewart's going to stay amateur. But I think I'd be surprised if any one of those nine players doesn't go on to have tremendous success on as a professional and i i think they're also talented and there was just no weak player there was no short straw stephen fisk is you know i've never seen a player with a weak grip play as well as this guy and you know i can't believe how far he hits it um you know with a with a you know a zero knuckle grip i don't know did you get a chance to watch steve at all
1: uh not not more, not very much at all but uh yeah certainly he's uh yeah from georgia southern what a uh what a you don't get on the Walker cup team without being a supreme talent in the game. I think he won nine college tournaments in a year and a half. So other than, you
0: know, Tiger Woods and a couple of other guys, I don't know how many guys have won nine college tournaments in, in a two year stretch, but, uh, you know, Steven, Stephen had all the credentials. He didn't, he, he, I think he lost all three of his matches on the last hole, which kind of left a little bit of a, you know, mixed feeling for him. But, um, You know, I basically told him, it was like, look, you know, you're going to be on a Ryder Cup one day, most certainly, but between then and now, this is the only team moment you're going to have, so cheer up, because, uh, you know, it's a team deal, and, uh, you know, it's kind of not too different than my experience. I was one and one, but getting sat twice, you know, definitely left some scar tissue for me, so, so it's, uh, you know, it's what it is. if there's any recommendation I could have, you know, I've got some recommendations on how the USGA could probably support or not, not financially, but, um, with their ranking system, they could really help a lot of these amateur tournaments, um, by, by standardizing them. I think the subjective part about the rankings is they rank certain tournaments, B's and certain tournaments, A's and certain tournaments, elites, And, um, I think that there could be a consistency where, um, You know, players could play an East Coast swing and players could play a West Coast swing. So you don't have to get players coming from California to play in the Northeast. I I just think that the the financing is not to be, you know, you got to think about the financing. These guys, not not all of them can travel and fly back and forth and rent cars and do all this all summer. And, uh, you know, I remember playing Northern California Junior tournaments. We'd hop in our car when we turned 16 and we'd drive to Fresno or we'd drive to Visalia or we'd drive to, you know, we were on our own own little tour eating McDonald's and, you know, and, and doing it. And I think if you strung six or seven tournaments in a row on the East Coast and six or seven on the West, you know, Western Southwest and Western side of the country, you could effectively get these guys to compete against each other and not make the financing part
1: of uh, so much of
0: a, uh, you know, a, a restriction for certain players.
1: Exactly. It's certainly a, uh, an expensive game to travel around and do all those things. And, uh, but uh, yeah, the, 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 having the back when I was playing amateur golf, there was the college events actually did not, they didn't have any ranking points or anything. So uh, now the the collegiate events have a lot of world amateur golf ranking points involved with them and, so I, I guess they can get some of those through the collegiate events too, uh, aside from the summer events. And What's your take really quick on the uh, on that topic and, and where some players actually, there's a couple stories out this summer where a couple players actually maybe didn't play quite as much during the summer because, you know, there's a certain uh, mathematics divisor in the world amateur golf rankings that you know the more you play the lower you know the worst you can potentially go down if your finishes aren't good what's your take on that and and did you see a lot of that happening this summer maybe players not playing as much
0: yeah i think that if you um, if you had uh, you know not picking out on any individual but if you had a great great summer uh the previous summer and your walker cup was your goal um your summer You know, if you, you know, won two tournaments or three tournaments or whatever, you would have a divisor that would hurt you if you didn't continue to win. And, you know, if you didn't play, the divisor wouldn't, you know, uh, affect your standing, uh, although it would give other players who won a chance of creeping up on you. Right.
1: So So, it's it's a delicate balance of, of knowing when to play and when not to play. I told Stuart Haggistad I love players, not sitters.
0: And he went out and should have won the players. He had a seven shot lead and um, Spencer Ralston found a way to shoot 63 and come from 11 shots back to, to beat him at the players. But, you know, uh, Stewart finished second in the Northeast, which is amazing, Qual- qualified for three U.S. Opens in a row as an amateur, which I don't think has been done for 50 years or something. Right. And, uh, you know, so Stuart uh, played and didn't try to protect his ranking, which was uh, established from finishing 32nd in the Masters and, um, and semifinals in the mid-am. His, actually, his mid amateur win was not part of the two-year body of work, so he had already lost that, um, but was still ranked in the top seven, I think, uh, going into the selection process.
1: Sure, sure, sure. That's an interesting point there. Okay, but right before I let you go, got to look ahead to 2021 at your home club, Seminole Golf Club, down in Juneau Beach, Florida, right near the Jupiter West Palm area. That's going to be the next host of the Walker Cup. What would it mean to you to captain that team? Now, we we have to say that traditionally, the Walker Cup captain gets two shots at it. So you would think that your chances are, are good. What would it mean to you to captain the U.S. Walker Cup team at your home club, Seminole? You know, um,
0: I think uh, it would be an amazing honor. I think that, you know, this whole experience was so it, this experience was really, truly a highlight of my whole life. And um, uh, I I'm uh, it would be an incredible privilege to be picked again. I know that that has been a tradition with the USGA uh, over the last couple, three decades. Um I, I worry about, uh, you know, a player or two that could be passed over. Um, you know, and the funny thing about Seminole is that, uh, if you're a Walker cup captain, you're, you're one of 10 people. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I think we're, you no, know, it's not a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing, but, um, I just, I don't even want to think about it. And, yeah. uh, and the possibilities at this point, I just want to relish in the moment of last week and, uh, and then uh, you know it's a it's a definite commitment of time and effort and and I don't know how any experience could match what just happened for me but uh, you know that being said I don't want to take myself out of the running <laughs> and uh, and you know but I but I am going to craft a, a note to the to the USGA and Martha and Stu Francis and and uh, uh, all the USGA executives because this privilege was. Uh, it was a lifetime memory, a highlight of my life, and uh, something that I would—it uh, uh, would be greedy of me to want another one.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think uh, whether you want to be greedy or not, I think there'll be a, a lot of people pulling for you to uh, to be the captain once again. Uh, you, you you were uh, very gracious in your time with us uh, at the Silver Club podcast today, and uh, Nathaniel Crosby, 2019 winning Walker Cup captain. For the U.S., I I can't thank you enough for your time.
0: Great. Let's play some golf this winter. Find your way to Florida.
1: (laughs) I would absolutely love to. That would be uh, fantastic. Thanks so much.
0: All right, Steve. Be good.